The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. To the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, The Power of Water, Environmental Changes, Climate Change, and Your Health. This show is dedicated for you to learn and be come to the classroom each week, listen to our guests. Pretend like you're in a research laboratory to study and learn and evaluate for your health and what your signals and your symptoms and what your thinking could be. Some of it will be very common sense. Some of it will be maybe something new. But it's also a reminder how important you are to this planet. We're an ecosystem, and we live together, and our health is affecting each other. So it's so important that we can learn to be proactive before something serious happens and we can be prepared. The show is about water, the power of water. But what I learned years ago, I'm the founder of Biologic Aqua Research Center, studying the water and the dehydration, the hydration of the body. And I learned years ago when I first began studying the word dehydration. Now, dehydration begins from the moment you left your mother's womb, entered in with the air you're breathing from that pocket of water. At that second, there's something we haven't studied enough. At that second, there's no two eyes alike, no two complexions on the skin alike, no two fingerprints alike. The dehydration at that moment became an individual uniqueness, that special moment to that brand new perfect human being. All babies and children are perfect, but they're depending upon the rest of us to learn. What can we do to make their lives healthier, happier, the attitude? Did you know that dehydration causes, from the moment you're born, symptoms that we haven't studied enough? Because you're about 80% water. You're a walking sponge. But if you have a dehydration happening that's a little unique, out of control, you'll have symptoms. Change in mental status, confusion, irritability. You will have the eyes get dry. Maybe need to wear glasses. Have it's more allergies. I could go on. Dry mouth, dry lips. Uh, We could go on and on and on. The mental capabilities become exhausted. Um, We may have more susceptibility because we don't have an immunity protection because the water table inside your body is your immunity protection outside the body. Now, we're learning more about uh, water all over the world. For example, we've just heard that thousands of schools are affected after study with bad water. The children, they had never noticed how bad the water is in thousands of schools. 
we're going around the world and we're finding 1.4 billion children, million, I'm sorry, 1.4 million children a year are dying because of unclean water and bad sanitation. That is 4,000 deaths a day. Now let's get serious. We're learning that in the farmers in California don't have enough water for their crops. Well, what is that going to do for irrigation with the aquifers below that are now not going to get any water to prime the aquifer below because the farmers are out of business. Oh, they think, oh, we can put the farmers out of business. We'll burn those trees. Well, the soil is getting ruts in it and bad soil, but they're forgetting about the aquifers below for what's going to prime the aquifers for the future. I just heard on 60 Minutes that we have the Great Migration uh, the epic journey uh, of animals and wildlife in Kenya. There is a particular river, the Mara River, that they had not been taking care of and, and studying for all these years. You know this is the last of the great migrations of all of these kinds of species of animals. One river, one river is not being taken care of, and it could dry up, and they did say that if that river gets any shallower, there could be a time when by thousands and thousands of animals dying, and it's the last of the great migration. So let's get serious. Let's study together and listen to our sponsors. I, I listen to our sponsor here now in a minute, uh, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the natural method of moisturizing the eyes with water. Does that make sense? With a water, a mist, because if the eyes are dry, it's because the air is dry, you're dry, and you may have a susceptibility to uh, dry eyes and, and allergies and more. So let's listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, for applying the natural method of just a mist. We'll be right back with our guest. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Today we have a very special guest, and I was really, really looking forward to this. Um, Marilyn Cazone is in New York, and she's a professor at State University of New York Language. Uh, Institute. She has released a new book 
called uh, To the Angels Discovering Hidden Gifts of Alzheimer's. Marilyn, are you with us? I definitely am. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you, and I want to tell you when I was studying your background and what you're doing is absolutely wonderful um, because only a person can explain what is Alzheimer's if you've experienced it uh, with somebody near to you. Isn't Tell us true? about yourself and your background, and and how you uh, what what is uh, why have you decided to release this book? Uh, the I, the book released to the angels was a result of the journey that I made with my husband Patrick through Alzheimer's. Uh, Alzheimer's was basically nothing new to me. My grandmother had Alzheimer's when I was young. Um, it wasn't called that. It was called, she, uh, my, my mother told me that my grandmother was senile, that she had hardening of the arteries. And in those days, they didn't realize. I want to stop you for a second, Marilyn. I often wondered um, what was the, the former descriptions of what was maybe Alzheimer's that they didn't call it. So it was senile. Right. Uh, uh, and hardening of the arteries and probably other things that were happening to the individual. Um, probably menopause if it was a woman. Right, right. <laughs> I'm sorry, you know. I had to and they didn't have But anyway, uh, go forward. I want to hear okay. this. Well, I don't think they had a description. I don't think anybody could have defined what hardening of the arteries are. We have a very different mental picture of what that could be. So uh, my grandmother had this, and it was just accepted that it was a part of old age. And then my father got Alzheimer's, and it caught my attention. And then my husband got Alzheimer's, and I suddenly realized that um, no one is immune to this. Wow. We, we come in here, and like you, you were saying previously, yes, looking in, we have no idea. We don't choose to ever go into situations like this. I certainly didn't. I had no intentions of writing a book or going through the journey with him. When you are in a situation that is catastrophic, whether it is Alzheimer's or cancer or any other thing, you, you look around at your loved one. And, and you also we're running into something else. Macular degeneration is becoming... Uh, so common, uh, uh, what is happening here? And and we're not getting enough education, and that's why the show hits on a lot of classroom-type studies here for us to learn about. So when you found – now let's go into some of the uh, – I, I know our listeners are going to be so fascinated uh, by what you're going to say, but what were some of the – what have you studied for your book that are some of the uh, early symptoms or detections or signals or signs if you think well, a person might have a beginning of of uh, dementia. Right. Well, the one constant about Alzheimer's is that it is not constant. You can look at, at any number of people, and especially in the beginning stages, symptoms are different. There is a common denominator of dementia, and I used to think that dementia and Alzheimer's were the same thing. And only when you're in it a while do you start realizing the differences. All of us have had moments where we walk into the room and wonder, what the heck where am I going? Why, why did I walk into this room? Yeah. And I think in our 20s we forgive ourselves and into our 30s and our 40s. When it gets a little... Oh, up, I'm in you, my 60s. I still forgive yes, myself. Right. And, and, and then all of a sudden it's the uh-oh time. Could this yeah. be start? Uh, with my, my husband, 
it started with those moments, and those, that was a, there was an acceptance factor that this was a part of old age. But he had he was an, had an incredible mind, uh, degrees in philosophy and psychology, and studied the Menengers, and wow. and yet he was finding um, mid sentence, not finding words, and that and this was is very. A general, this is a f- person who had degrees in studying philosophy and and probably right. some t- touched on some psychology and more to do that. And he he had at the beginning signs and did, which one of you detected when it came to what it might what it might be the signals of? I think we both looked at each other and knew. Okay. I think that we are aware. All of us are keenly aware of our probably more of our misgivings and our faults than we are of our successes. So when something, he had a uh, incredible sense of humor, very very quick, uh, could spin something. It was just he. Very few people could match his wit. That was lost because he couldn't find words. This was a man who was into health far more than I was. I mean, he was. We were into vitamins. We were into correct eating. No white sugars. We were. And a drinking a lot of water. <laughs> a lot of water. In fact, I remember him saying, I just have to stuff this down a goose because I wasn't as receptive to all that. He was uh-huh. the one who trained me toward that. And after I saw the value of it, yes, absolutely, we, we would do this. And uh, it was there was a point where we knew it was out of our control, that this was something that was different. It wasn't the normal type of memory loss. And there was fear. There's pride involved. There's trying to keep up in uh, social conversations, all of that, that that does happen, yeah. Now, when you're coming along and you're seeing, you know, and and this is going to be very dear to uh, your heart, but what was the very first thing that you noticed that might be something to watch? So when our listeners are thinking, you know, um, what is a signal that, to watch, and what do we do to start disciplining our watch? In other words, as a person or a, a person who's uh, a, a, me- a member of the family or a friend, uh, what is a signal? Is there any well, signals other than they forgot that they walked in a room? Um, there's got to be something before that. There, there are. There are, um, in Pat's case, complete uh, confusion in driving. We had a home upstate and a trip that had normally uh, it would take two and a half hours took him five hours. He became lost, totally confused of where he was. Uh, and that was scary. That was scary to him. Um, along the way, and I think it's a natural tendencies on our part to to excuse it, to try to find excuses because of the fear factor. Later on, I remember at one point I came home, I, I I teach, and I discovered a um, bloody note on the on the the carpet, and he had um, he had cut himself, mm-hmm. and he had been waiting outside for me to uh, to come back from work to go to the hospital when he needed to take care of himself, and it was a, a passerby who said, "You have to you have to go now," and it was one of the first indications that he hadn't taken steps to help himself. That the dependency, which I think husband and wife, there's a natural built-in dependency that you acquire. Now, over. Marilyn, is there anything you've studied and every anything in research because you are writing a, have written a book? Is there anything other than that prior? Uh, is there any um, like anxieties that are uh, that you think are maybe um, not quite so common sense? And uh, is there anything that is showing signs of the individual having any? Um, 
detection of something that is not comfortable to them and because they're trying to work on overtime to remind, remind, remember certain things before all of that happens. Well, I, I, I think that this, the, um, the horribleness of this is that it starts off so gradual that it can be... That's what I meant. What is the, that's why I'm thinking on, on our little cla- in our classroom here. Mm-hmm. And I like the show to be a very much like a research lab. Mm-hmm. Let's study together mm-hmm. and let the individual study that have listened go study uh, if they're interested or intrigued. But what are, what, have they learned anything that the individual can learn and family or especially the individual that could be a signal of a beginning of something that maybe could be worked on to keep a start working on a dis- different discipline of the of the mind and well we did when he um, he was very much aware that his losses were there his he was his favorite author was Charles Dickens who had, who had a command of the language and when he realized that he couldn't do that we sat down and discussed this and we tried um, mental games I I being a teacher okay. tried spelling we okay. tried the cross puzzles. We tried anything to stimulate his his brain to to function better, and it was deceptive because at, in the beginning it, we seemed to make progress. But I think in the very early stages, it is um, it's not in, as intrusive, so that you can make progress. You can start rememorizing your your multiplication tables, that sort of thing. But gradually, with this disease, there's no way out. Now and let's there, say you're calling it a disease. Um, and we'll kind of come, we're going to listen to our sponsor in a minute, but we're, before we go, um, when you're saying it's a disease, well, how did they classify it? And you, because you wrote a book, you've got to have a description. Why did they classify it as a disease? What, what, what does that mean? I first have to make a clarification on my book. My book is from the perspective of a caregiver okay. who knew nothing. Okay, going so into you Alzheimer's. never got any, any, any uh, information. I, I am not um, that type of an expert as far as the facts. It's interesting. I'm thinking maybe how, you did some uh, research and, and interviewed some people on some different things, but you did it with a caregiver. Now, let's just say no commitments. This is a lab, and what you learn in a lab, you never know for sure. What are some of the things that you may have learned from others or from uh, the doctors, the different ones, that may have been a beginning of a signal? Not not the extreme, but the beginning. Mm-hmm. Did you I, ever learn anything yet? Well, what I'm what I am picking up, I am deeply associated with with advocacy for the Alzheimer's Association, okay. and it's only now I was the type of caregiver who basically didn't reach out. I sometimes hid my needs, and now I'm encouraging people to be in contact with the Alzheimer's Association right. because there are learning. Learn. Oh. There are literally classrooms designed for caregivers in in every stage. There is something called early onset Alzheimer's that uh, attacks. It is a true disease, by the way, and that is something that I never knew. I always thought it was a natural part of old age, but this can at early onset can attack uh, people within their 30s and 40s. Rita Hayworth had Alzheimer's at a time that she came off the plane and they thought she was drunk. They thought she was inebriated. She wasn't. It was her total confusion. And people recognizing um, those signs of confusion, of not knowing. Um, There's a difference between forgetfulness 
and the basic, basic signs. With forgetfulness, you might be walking into the, the kitchen with a, a fork and you put it down and you, you come back and where did I put my fork? With Alzheimer's, it's picking up a fork and not knowing what it's for. We're going to take, listen to our sponsor and we'll be back and then you can teach us how we might be thinking from what you've learned in your classes uh, of some of those beginning stages because those to me are the proactive side uh, and that's my basis of my research has always been be proactive. Uh, Marilyn, we're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the natural method of moisturizing the eye and we'll be right back. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Marilyn, when we went to uh, our moment there at our break, you were talking about when the person first walks in and the individual uh, that has the early stages of. Alzheimer's that doesn't know it yet is is, is forgetting um, where they put the fork or they open the door and walk there. Like you said, was it Susan Hayworth? Yes, it was. That, that came off the plane and people thought she had been um, inebriated and she wasn't. She'd lost uh, her um, mobility of where she was. What are some of the earlier signs of way back and uh, in, in, in signals? Have they done anything yet in research to signal young adult? Now, I was told recently um, that there was a young adult, 41 years old, a young man diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. What are some of the ages in there? Uh, some of us think it comes on later. What are some of the ages that happen? And what are, you know, are they learning anything about preparation of the individual understanding they may be having some symptoms, but to kind of do some preparation, being proactive. Right. Uh, um, in the, they are making progress. I have att- attended the, the national, I am starting to now since my husband's death to attend national um, conferences on Alzheimer's. The last one was in Washington, in which I was a speaker. And there I'm finding out very encouraging points as well as discouraging. The overall picture is I'm not too sure if there is a cure within the, uh, the immediate horizon. I'm hopeful that there might be 
some medications that can postpone the symptoms for five years uh, with when you're talking about elderly um, individuals. The younger set, the early onset Alzheimer's, they now uh, feel that they have markers, the genetic markers, for not for the older onset. For the younger onset, they feel that they, that they do. Um, they have these types of markers. Now, what you do with them, they're, that's only within the last couple years of being genetically um, tested for those markers. Now, let's go back for a second, and I know that's not your field, so I'm not going to yes, put you and in I do position. Feel, of, I don't want to give your, your listeners any information that I myself... No, no, no. We're not going to talk about that, but we're going to ask you what you've been learning about research and what you've been uh, absorbing there. Uh, now, when you go, they go back to, certain, uh, to what I say, a certain earlier mm-hmm. uh, childhood and young adult and adult times of life, did they ever have any similarities to anybody's their, uh, relation to that person has a propensity uh, uh, for? Yes. Yeah. Did they find um, anything? At this, at this point, I have not seen any um, guideline, a checklist, so to speak, that you could go down. I know in some cases they said uh, um, head trauma can um, trigger this in, in, um, an, at an earlier stage. A, a, um, me, a head trauma? They, they have said that in some cases. That was not the case with my father. It was not the case uh, with my husband. But I know that I think it's when these losses start occurring, whether it is not understanding um, words while you're reading or the context of words or now, finding. Could that, have, could that have been somewhat happening prior to uh, the, the, the disease setting on that's noticed? Is it possible the individual, have they learned enough? Are they learning or researching that there is a relationship with everyone that has Alzheimer's, that something was a signal when they were younger, um, that maybe could be something they could start learning more about when the person is younger? I you know we try that so hard, Marilyn. I mean, in research, you, t- you want to go back. It's like, for example, Marilyn, I am very saddened, uh, irritated <laughs> that research doesn't begin the moment you're born and you left that pocket of water and you dehydrated to the beginning of your ending. Um, we don't have a moisture meter. We're not checking the eyes enough. Uh, we're not doing enough at that moment with dehydration. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that's my focus, and I put lots of investment behind this with my investment group is to study this, is that we are, we're studying the dry air because we realize what's happening is something else they didn't study. Is Maryland, our air is drier than it should be because our bodies were depending upon that moisture level in the womb and then all of a sudden we hit a, a delivery room and in the delivery room may have had insulated windows and walls, forced air heating and cooling and all the artificial everything to go with it. Then they begin their lives, and they're walking into other buildings mm-hmm. that are so dehydrating and living in, 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 in dehydration of chemistry and more. Now, how do we know which person is more susceptible to others of a dehydration effect? Because that's the, that's the, that's the life and, uh, and the crisis to the final uh, ending. Right. Um, my concern is when we learn from uh, certain stages, can we go back? Are they studying this? They to are go back studying. and learn some different 
symptoms and detections that may be something that we really never thought about. Everybody has a kind, a little bit in common of why this ended up being a disease, Mm -hmm. Uh, because a disease is something that doesn't have to be contagious, but it's something that is running in a similarity of why that person was so uh, uh, susceptible to something that maybe another member of the family or a friend or down the street they didn't have. Right. Well, I know that they have focused on what they call the plaque and the tangles. There's what they called amyloid plaque, which is our protein fragments that are natural to our bodies. And normally our bodies will break them down and eliminate these proteins. But in Alzheimer's disease, these fragments don't break down, and they accumulate, and they form what they call plaque that won't dissolve. And and they also talk about tangles. They say that this plaque starts about 10 years before the first signs are, are evident in the disease, and that's that's the cat. So this is something in you... the arteries. Now, uh, now we're just studying. All we're going to do is just think out loud, and it doesn't mean anything other than thinking. Um, is so the protein plaques are uh, causing a congestion in the arteries. Um, would have they come up to anything? All have they studied anything about what is happening uh, with uh, uh, the uh, with the arteries and? and uh, what's happening to the, uh, the digestion and high blood pressure. Is there any relationship in there to the plaque of cardio, uh, cholesterol and good cholesterol, bad cholesterol? Did they ever say anything like that, ever? I, I'm hearing talk of them going toward it. I don't hear a lot of information of them, actually. That is not in my, my area. But I you know what I talking... would suggest that because you're with a strong advocacy of individuals who have experienced, they need to start asking questions. How much are you learning? How much are you learning? How much are you learning? Right. And I I think it is one of the things that I think instinctively I knew, instinctively Patrick knew, and what they're pointing on is the circulation. Since we... There we go. I'm going... If we're going into... If we're talking about pre-Alzheimer's... The brain has to have a stimulus of oxygen. Absolutely. In fact, one of the things that was common sense to me was my father also had a brilliant brain, but he sat in his retirement sat... read. And I actually believe that that it caught up with him more. Pat was far more active, and they did not catch it until quite a bit later. But that the blood circulation, if this stuff is happening through the blood and the tangles and the plaque, uh, the key is then in the blood. Get the blood going. Get it to all parts of your body to nourish it. Mm -hmm. And you, I, 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 I had not... Um, you know, your advocacy with the, with the water is so important to just simply keep things going and nourished and hydrated. One, I can t- I tell you one that I am also, I'm, I, my show, I'm very open about my thinking because I've been studying for 30 years. And trust me, is there anybody smart enough? We're all here to learn. But what I learned from birth, from the brand new baby, and they're, they're uh, drinking mother's milk or the, mm-hmm. or the formula, did you know they're, uh, and I'm going to go after this one one day, did you know they don't want the baby yet to have for a couple of months or three months uh, water to drink yet? And oh. I'm saying, come on, everybody, right. let's go, uh, let's get together. That baby only has a taste in the taste in the, in the nerve endings of the tongue and the taste buds right. of something sweeter. Then right. if they haven't introduced, just letting them drink a little tiny bit of water to get another taste to the taste buds, that water from the beginning is your whole life. 
And doesn't it make sense? I mean, it, it makes common Please sense. Please, thank you, Marilyn. Let's get to common sense about our health. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you I, know, because I, when, when, and then do you, I don't know if you heard it, but here we are saying, no, 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 don't, the baby's milk is mostly water. Well, come mm-hmm. on. Would you take, give your baby a bath in the formula? Mm-hmm. No. It's like one of our well-known doctors that came on, Dr. Chow, uh, who's very famous for her research in water all over the world. Uh, would you take your bath in your tea or your coffee or your juice? No. It's the water. It's the water. Yeah. And I am witness to the fact that there, have, there were a couple times during these years with Patrick where he was not hydrated, and that fell on me, and I noticed immediately the difference. So even in stages of Alzheimer's where the disease has taken over, the hydration is very, very important. Yeah, and unbelievable. Them, there are periods of more alertness, more... Um, well, that's what I was hoping to learn here today. Possibly research is looking into... Uh, the circulation, oxygen, hydrogen, mm-hmm. and because, for example, uh, research, uh, I want them to learn more about in the womb, Marilyn, the eyes and the brain connect together at the very same time. Well, the brain is 80% water. The body is 80% water. The blood is 80 to 90. We're a walking sponge. Well, when you were born in that delivery room, it was like a vacuum cleaner. It just took you on individually and sucked everything it could grab at that second. And then the eyelid opens, and the eyes are the only organ not covered by the skin if the eyelid is open. Well, what is the connection to the strain on the brain, if the mm-hmm. eyelid is open, depending upon the air we're living in, it is becoming so dry, and you've right. got to have, like one of our scientists was on, said, Sharon, we call that not moisture in the air, we call that the fluid in the air. Then we came along, Marilyn, and had a guest who had the most fabulous descriptions of how much water you could pull out of the air that you oh, don't wow. see and put in, and put in a, a tank of, a, of an invention to have drinking water, it's that water in the air that is vital to every single human being. But there are some human humans, there are life, that have to have more than somebody right. else might. And I, I have a, a story that went along with this. In Alzheimer's, their vocabulary, they do not find the words. And you could, if you take things literally from them, I got in trouble with this. For a long time, Patrick was saying to me, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And I had just fed him, and I would give him a cracker or something, and he would spit it out. And I kept wondering, what is going on? And one time, he was taking his pills, and I was giving him uh, water. And he drank the water, and he said, more, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. I realized that I had just read the language wrong. He was asking for water, and because he couldn't say, I'm thirsty, I was feeding him dry crackers. Well, we have in our description of modern words way back in the beginning, thirsty, hungry. But hungry, you need the thirst, and we confuse the two. Uh, Thirsty is more important than food. And he was, he was trying to tell me, and it, okay. was, it was me, and I realized, I just, I felt terrible about it. So I gave him another class, and he yeah. drank it, and I realized he was dehydrated. Yeah. yeah so you're was. learning, you're learning. It's a learning process. It's a learning to, in a situation that is bad, to focus on the good. That is, um, that is the main message of my book. It's called Discovering the Hidden Gifts of Alzheimer's. That, now, before um, we're done, we only have a moment left, but mm-hmm. what would you say to people who are listening that maybe have a person who has Alzheimer's and they haven't really reached out for the help they need because they're, they maybe don't have the time or they're thinking that if they go get help, 
it may bring the, you know, sometimes we don't want to be realistic right. about the what is happening, and we kind of want to uh, keep it more private mm-hmm. than we should. And uh, we need to reach out sooner. What would you uh, suggest to them? I would, I absolutely would would suggest there are, their Alzheimer's Association has a toll-free service where they have trained professionals. We're not trained. We go into this blind. We have basic questions. They can answer them. They have suggestions about dealing with the challenges of health care and providing emotional support and guiding you toward care options as well as health. They, they are, in my studies after the fact, is the one organization that is really zeroing in on the true needs of the caregiver. And I'd love to give you, your uh, listeners, that health Yeah, line. can we have that help uh, yes. line? It's 1-800-272-3900, 1-800-272-3900. It is confidential. Those are fabulous because if you want just, you know, this email stuff has become very exciting for pen pals, but mm-hmm. I like the idea that when you're needing some advice that you get a voice. You need to get a relationship because with a voice. It's yeah. also an emotional contact. Yeah. You just yeah. absolutely need it. They well, are. we only have a moment left. I want to know uh, what would you like to leave with everybody coming from your personal experiences. From my experience, uh, it's okay to not be strong. It's okay to not have all the answers. If you reach out, there are people that can help you. New research is being made. Uh, we can reach out for our friends, our support systems that really can get us through step-by-step and educate us as we go along. And, uh, and we then, if we fulfill ourselves and give ourselves positive options, we have more to give to our loved ones. Right. And I like the way you explain flow, flow with it. And, you know, the, the, uh, anything to do with ch- obstacles and challenges are to solve. And ourselves as individual people, the person who you are, you get to know yourself mm-hmm. and how you flow with what is happening. If the individual possibly thinks you're wanting to not flow, it makes it more challenging for them. Right. Uh, you've got to flow like the water. You yeah, flow. Absolutely. Learn it's as you go. It's a very well, good analogy, absolutely. Well, and maybe that goes back to our faith, right? I think so. I yes. Think so. Yes. Well, thank you for all that you're doing, and uh, I think we learned a lot today. Keep up the hard work, and you are a very special person, Marilyn. You've done a lot to, uh, yeah, to give back. And I would encourage your, your listeners to come to my website. It's, it's www.released to the angels, release to the angels, one, one long squished up word. Okay. And there it, it will direct you to help mm-hmm. as well as lots of other things that they can, they can maybe gain from. Well, thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for your so time much. and your mission, and I really appreciate your t- giving time to us today. Thank you so much. You have a nice day. Michelle, bye-bye. Well, did you learn? I did. I've been concerned about it in research, about the circulation, the uh, backup of toxin, not detoxifying, because our skin gets very dry, and, and because the air is dry, and it, uh, the lubrication of moisture in the air, the fluid of the air is vital, but drinking the water is vital into our everyday life. And, and that's something you need to think about from your baby to yourself every day is you need to think about symptoms and being proactive and preparation for whatever. And don't ever be afraid of the unknown. That's your faith base. Is live with what's ahead of you and do everything you can to pay it forward. But you need to be proactive about your health, and that's an ecosystem. That's our planet. That's our earth. That's our specialty of the power of it all, whatever faith you have. It's the power of your faith within the faith. 
of uh, living with others on the lo- globe. Alzheimer's has become very serious because it, it, it is a tragedy of, of someone forgetting. Uh, I, we are President Ronald Reagan, uh, very well-known people. Family members have had Alzheimer's. So uh, let's work hard to learn as much as we can together about that subject, too, because I think that subject is something you all could be learning about. But you know how, where I come from, the power of the water every day that you need to learn. There's something to also... It is widely agreed that education is the most effective means for society and all life on earth to have the freedom to think. Your mind is your freedom. You do not have to share that. But when you have the freedom to learn and think, and the Internet is giving us an absolute index library of studying, studying, studying. But ask the questions of Alzheimer's and uh, let's go after what more we could assist them to learn more with research from behind the scenes. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the application for moisturizing the eyes because the eyes are dry from birth, and you never know. Some of your symptoms could be because you're very dry-eyed, and dry eyes do not mean you have to be burning, itching, and all that goes with what the the um, obvious. It can be anytime you're blurry, any moments of sitting at the computer. It could be the, the allergy coming onto the flu, the eyes will need moisture. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with just a mist. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. Listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinerHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinerHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Well, our second guest today has been kind of exciting for me to get to know in our classroom and our research laboratory of life on this earth. Um, Goff, are you with us? It's Jeff. But I was going to say, I apologize. <laughs> it's, it's Jeff. I like the spelling. Audience, it's G-E-O-F-S. That's correct. So Hello. is that Scandinavian? No, it's actually British. Oh, British. Okay. Okay. And you're the president of the, uh, uh, of the safety resource that is certified for infant swimming. 
Yes, I'm, I'm actually a, uh, an independent instructor with Infant Swimming Resource. Um, okay. I'm one of several hundred around the country, but uh, yes, that's right. Well, this is an interesting show for me today. I need to tell you one. Um, I'm c- talking to you from uh, southern Oregon near the Rogue River. Um, mm-hmm. um, I grew up uh, on the Rogue River, and my parents taught me to swim, even if it had to be through a rapid for safety and um, when my husband and I were first married 46 years ago, uh, we were uh, living in an area. Uh, uh, my husband managed a huge three-block um, motel, Best Western. We had two swimming pools. And Jeff, the first baby born, who is now 45 years old, I, what would happen, and we lived in that, ri- that motel was right on the river. That's where I'm living, on the, I'm living in a, like a cabin on the river now. Uh-huh. But anyway, from town. But anyway, um, I had this instinct that I better teach that baby how to swim because there was two pools and a river. And I knew if a baby, you know what a baby does? Immediately they want to go to the puddle. Uh, they want to sw- play in the, pu- in the tub. Uh, if there's a pool, what do they do? Or a river, they're going to want to walk out at every chance that door could open as infant toddler and go to the water. So I taught my babies how to swim. One was born in April. She was in the pool, uh, loving to be underwater by the end of that summer. Uh, the other baby was born five years later. She was born in December. By the end of the next summer, she was swimming under the water uh, because I had to. Now, tell us about what you have been learning about uh, infant swimming and safety. Well, um, you're absolutely right. I mean, we've got so many bodies of water around now, especially in Florida and California. Um, First of all, I mean, drowning is the leading cause of death for for infants and young children in 18 states around the nation. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's it's, Texas is on track this year to reach 100 childhood deaths. 100? 100. And, and, And this is the leading cause of death in those states? Of accidental in 18 states. It's the second leading cause of injury-related death after um, automobile accidents across the nation. But when you think of automobile accidents and you think of drowning and what we can do to protect our children, drowning... Well, we can be more proactive with safety with drowning. It's so preventable, and that's one of the reasons that uh, I've taken on and have become an infant swimming resource. Now, you had your own relationship of experience. What was that? In what way? Do you well, I was reading time? here where, did you have an a, a infant? Well, I haven't had the shock therapy that a lot of people take. I've, I've been very lucky in that regard. But, yes, my son did fall in the pool. That's what and, I meant. You've had yeah, a, yeah, an experience. I mean, I was right there at the time. And it is it, startling. It is frightening. It, 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 it is very frightening, and my wife, uh, when I brought him in dripping wet, she said, uh, right, that's it, we're getting lessons for him. Mm-hmm. He was 14 months old, mm-hmm. and uh, when she told me that, I said, well, you know, what can you teach a 14-month-old at that age? I was really, really skeptical. And oh, we you went, can teach him a lot. <laughs> well, you can. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I remember we, I've had my experience. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, we went to we went to a, a, a certified instructor with Infant Swimming Resource, and uh-huh. it was uh, for him it was ten minutes a day, uh-huh. five days a week in the pool. And at the end of I can't remember if it was between four and six weeks, um, I could not believe how uh, confident and, and quite competent he was in the water. He was able to first of all flip on his back and float. Sure. 
if he needed to, and then flip on over and start swimming towards the edge of the water, the, to, to the pool so he could grab onto but, the But edge. the idea is they have to and it, feel comfortable putting their head under the water and coming up and thinking that's fun. Well, that's right, but what we don't want them to do is lift their head. We, we actually teach infants at this age to roll onto their back and okay. float so okay. that they don't need to kick and they don't need to exert any energy. Now, I've got to ask one, though. Uh, I know this is a, like a classroom research laboratory for all of us and, and for me. Um, so they haven't been thinking, if that baby goes under, not to panic, that that's a comfortable thing to do, you'll just come back up. Well, that's right, and, and that's why we have the, the, the lesson structured the way we do, because we okay. have very high repetition, and okay. infants at that age, they're learning through, the, well, through their muscles, you know, the, the sensory motor learning, we call oh, it. Oh, it's, and it's, so, that, uh, it's that anxiety of concern. Yeah. If they've never gone under, all of a sudden, their nose, their breathing, is, or there's something, their anxiety, and then maybe water goes up in the nose or something is uncomfortable, and then they think there's some, something to be panicky about. Well, that, well, that's right. If a child hasn't been exposed to the water in that way, that's exactly what can, can happen. And a lot of children, they just don't know what to do if they've not had any experience with the water. they don't. They just do nothing. And, They're and used to the bathtub. And... Yeah. Well, that's why we say water is a silent killer, because uh, a child falling into a pool generally doesn't make any noise. You're not going to hear a scream for help. You're not going to hear any crying. It's silent. Right. And it's scary. Yeah, it, well, it is frightening. Now, um, what have we been learning? Um, now, I also need to tell you also, strangely, uh, because my children learn to swim very, very young, um, I had my directions of getting them c- comfortable. I was like the clown in the water with them. Uh-huh. Uh, if they went uh, under, if I could pick their little face down in the water where they could uh, uh, come, and then all of a sudden pop them up like a clown and be laughing and uh-huh. clapping and, oh, my gosh, does that feel, you know, and you're going, you know. And then I had to get them to where they didn't mind under the water too much because then they could swim around and come back up and it would become uh, a training. And then I got them to where they could be on top of the water. And, and uh, Jeff, I've got to tell you, uh, we used to go out to the pool with all of these people, and they couldn't handle being there with these infants jumping off of a, not infants, toddlers, jumping off of a board. Uh, so we used to have to go when there was nobody around the pool very much. Uh, and then they later on, uh, in grade school, my oldest daughter joined the swim team, and you can imagine uh, what was happening along the way. Uh, my God, she mastered the top of the pool, and, uh-huh. and so did my other one. Um, uh, and I became a, an AEU official, learning all of those competitive ice strokes. Now, um, when, the, when you've been teaching and, and stressing that people start taking more proactiveness of getting the uh, infant the toddler comfortable with uh, emerging into the water or to be safer and not to take chances around it and respect it too. What are you doing to, to get them not afraid, but what are you doing to get a proactive uh, respect to the fact that that's wa- that water is not safe for you yet? Well, for the parents especially, I mean, they, they have to understand that what we're doing here is not drown-proofing by any means. Um, you, we have to dispel that myth right away that, you know, any lessons of any type can drown-proof anybody. And so that comes back to supervision being the, the only way that you're going to 100% be, be sure that your child's not going to end up in the pool unintentionally. But as we all know as parents, supervision breaks down. 
And what I like to do is, is talk to my, uh, my parents and, and my clients about uh, layering the protection around the pool so that when the child's in the house, they have to, first of all, elude the supervision as a, as a, protect, as a, as a barrier, then get through the doorways, and then, if the, and then I really recommend that there's a, a fence which isolates the pool entirely uh-huh. so that the only time you're going to use, uh, go through that fence is when you're going to uh, use the pool. There's okay. the other one, too, as you were talking. I was thinking about, let's say you have uh, the family you wanted to take off for the day and you have a child sitter, a babysitter, and you've got to get that person also disciplined about the water out there. Absolutely. Well, you, you, you were touching on that about the education, you know, and, and what I like to do with some of the preschool kids is uh, sit them down and sort of say, well, I go into preschools and I talk to preschool kids, but one activity I like to send home with them is to talk to their parents about the pool rules and actually make their own little pool rules poster. So There we go. Posters, everybody loves posters. They're having yeah, they, fun with them today. Yeah. Mommy and Daddy can write the uh, the rules, and they can uh, they can paint something. To, okay, we only know. have one minute left on this. Uh, what would where would people go to learn more on the web? Uh, the website is infantswim.com, mm-hmm. and um, that's a national website. And mm-hmm. if people are looking for instructors, okay. um, they, there's a locator there. You basically type in your zip code, and the closest instructor would come up, and uh, you can find them that way. Okay, and of course, this is for all all families. And if you have a family, let's say you're having guests over and they're bringing a baby, there have to be instructions. I love those posters. And anybody bringing a family in the home and there's a toddler involved, they have to be aware of, like, we're living on the river. And you know where a baby wants to go when the lawns just flow, smooth, go to the river is down to the water. Yeah. Well, but thank you very much, like for, Jeff, for what you're I... doing, and uh, I wish you well. Thank you. Can I make one more point, Sharon? You can. I'd just like to say is is this program is a self-rescue program, and that is inherently different from a um, swimming program. Yes. And and I want parents to be very clear in their objectives. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. And so that whenever they're thinking of swim lessons, they need to go watch the lessons. And for safety reasons. The, right. They need to match them to their objectives. Thank you, Jeff. It's nice okay. to have you with us today. And I love Orlando and all those interwaterways. Yeah, you got the Orlando accent. That's beautiful. <laughs> okay, you. it's nice. And you have a very nice day. Thank you, Sharon. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, we had the water. And uh, and with the safety of of, of a child, uh, infants, toddlers, and individuals near water. And remember, you can never have too many posters around and too many reminders, even for yourself, because you can become complacent with water. Uh, you get used to it. There's something I learned ran into this weekend, and uh, that I wanted you to hear on Fox Television. Bill O'Reilly was interviewing uh, the singer uh, Jewel, and Jewel is uh, the spokesperson for Project Clean Water. Let's get behind her audience. Jewel is a songwriter, absolutely a singer. Uh, I'm really excited for her, and I'm really proud of her to join us. I guess she drank bad water as a young person. She became a street person because she had ambitions and had no money, and she lived in her pickup, and she drank some bad water and had kidney problems for, uh, for the rest of her life because of bad water. And remember, that can happen to anyone. Get behind Jewel. I want to mention the swine flu. Uh, You've got to be careful of the swine flu and wash your hands, drink plenty of water, escape the flu by drinking a ton and plenty of water. Earth does have a secret. Embrace your life, every precious moment, and value other people's lives. Earth is whispering. 
never say goodbye. Leave your footprint. You're special and you'd know everybody else is special to you. I want to thank you for listening. Have a nice day. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.